Hi, I'm Priya Aneja. I'm Paul Shrimp. And I'm Jeff Gorgie. And this is Profits Healthcare Transformers podcast, where we'll be talking to leaders in healthcare who are focused on transforming their organizations to drive the next level of growth for their business and for healthcare. Transformation is one of those terms that has a lot of layers to it. Sometimes it's about innovation. Sometimes it's about shifting the way you do business. Sometimes it's about your overall operating model, and sometimes it's to a specific department or function. It's also about people, helping them navigate the discomfort that comes with change, but also motivating them to engage in the journey of transformation from the CEO to the newest employee. It is a journey, and that's why we created this podcast, to break down this multidimensional, dynamic topic of transformation, one story at a time. Are you ready to dive in? Hi, I'm Paul Shrimp, your host for this episode. Today, we have Mary Varghese Presti, SVP and GM of Dragon Medical, part of Nuance and soon to be a subsidiary of Microsoft. Mary, welcome. Thank you, Paul. I always so enjoy speaking with you. Mary, we're going to spend a lot of time around your recent efforts at Dragon Medical and, and things around transformation. But before we get started, we'd love a little bit of a background about yourself, how you got to where you are today, and something we might not find on your LinkedIn profile. So what you might not find on my LinkedIn profile is I was actually born in India, but I grew up in Philadelphia. And so so I run hot. I'm very passionate about what I do. Philadelphia is a gritty city and, and I bring a lot of grit to what I do. We're really a city that roots for the underdog because we've been the underdog in so many ways. And so you'll see that theme probably also kind of flow through in, in my career, my career choices. Great. I'd love to hear more about uh, a sampling of that. We'd love to hear more about what your your current role entails and how it's consistent and different from some of the, the previous roles you've had. Yeah, sure. So I am the general manager of the Dragon Medical franchise at Nuance. And Dragon Medical, for people who don't know, it's an industry-leading speech recognition platform that clinicians use. So you know, imagine a, a, you go to your doctor and the clinician is dictating with voice into our technology and then it's auto-populating into the electronic health record. And just to toot our own horn a little bit, we just got best in class two years in a row. So as we like to say, the best just got better. That's what I do today. But in many ways, and I've, I've been here less than a year, coming to Dragon Medical and coming to Nuance and kind of returning to sort of the provider provider side is it's really I see that as my career kind of coming not full circle but but maybe an ellipse. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. And as you're thinking about your roles over the last few years, what's been kind of some consistent themes that have come out and what's what's kind of changed? So I was looking through my files because um as a as sort of a newbie here at Nuance, I'm doing this with my team or doing the disk profile. And I I did it last back in 2013 when I was advisor. I, I went back and I looked at that and I scored as a turbo D, <laughs> turbo driver. And now I'm almost 50-50 between driver and influencer. And I think that really represents, you know, kind of as you mature and advance in your career and like different kinds of roles you you take you do start to see shifts, right? So definitely influence and and influencing and leading organizations through influence has become much bigger part of kind of how I operate, which I suppose if if you were to look at these scores are a lot different than back in 2013, looked, looked like a different mix. But I would say some common themes in terms of my career is 
you know, I started my career as a pediatric nurse, really enjoyed my time at the bedside at, at Johns Hopkins. And, you know, I think what drew me into nursing and drew me into healthcare, I think many people in healthcare self-select to be there. It's a very mission-driven industry. But I would say for me, and this goes back to the comment I made on being from Philly, I really like to advocate. In nursing, you know, there's the caring for the patients, the complexity of nursing, but there's a significant amount of advocacy. You know, I remember taking care of patients who are wards of the state. You know, these were kids, orphans who couldn't speak, who had no one at the bedside. And, and I found it a real privilege to advocate for those patients and starting to get to know the sounds and knowing when a patient is in pain and speaking for that patient. And it just really fueled me. And, and I shifted from sort of taking care of those patients and really advocating for patients to, as I learned more and more, you know, kind of advocating for the healthcare system at large. I mean, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, we continue to have a very fragmented healthcare system, but it, it was in far worse shape back then. I know we often rail about, you know, how broken our healthcare system is, but as someone who spent decades working on it, we have actually made great strides now you know, I, I'd like to say I'm pleased, but not satisfied. There's still a long ways to go. But, you know, I kind of shifted from advocating for that patient at the bedside to kind of advocating for our nation's healthcare system. Over time, I really wanted to understand what working in corporate America was like. So I spent some years at Pfizer and just through that experience, kind of I came out of it, starting to then, you know, thinking about data and, you know, transparency in the data and really thinking about how can you advocate for that patient who would really benefit from a clinical trial? You know, how can you use data to, to really have a patient-centric, clinically specific, you know, trial recruitment approach? And then again, going back to the healthcare system at large, so that we all can have more diversity and representation in the clinical trials enterprise, right? And it's all around speeding drugs to market. And, and with the COVID pandemic, we were all sitting at the edge of our seats waiting, waiting for these trials to conclude. And so, so I am drawn to these sort of big, hairy problems that at the end of the day, if solving them, you know, really delivers meaningful improvements to just the quality of our, our healthcare outcomes and the integrity of, of the healthcare system at large. As having a chance to work with you a number of times, I hear a lot of people saying, I like a big challenge. You take it to another level. Like the, the things that you bite off and the moves that you make are scare me <laughs> as you take them on, but but you do them with such a grace. And, and again, this, the, the piece that I, I would love if you could expand on is that human aspect. Because even as you talk about your experience as a pediatric nurse and relating to kids, but your ability to relate with others and form teams around some really big issues and getting things unstuck is is quite inspiring to me. But we'd love to hear for you to talk a little bit more about that, assuming that you agree. Yeah, I've definitely built the sort of muscle memory around change management, right? Like, you know, when you talk about transformation at the end of the day, I mean, a lot of times people think, oh, it's this big, sexy, like 180 change that we're going to deliver. You know, for me, the transformation is getting really crisp about the problem statement. And then more often than not, over 85% of it is frankly change management, you know, sort of the culture change, really focusing on people. If you really think about how, these efforts tend to get started in organizations. A lot of people work on this unstated principle that every team member has a vote. And so things go on the way they always have in perpetuity. And you, if you're lucky, you might get some gradual evolution, but not revolution. 
So I learned early on and I've, I've tried different things and I've kind of honed my, my approaches, but you really have to create that culture of healthy conflict mm-hmm. and vigorous debate. I mean, I invite it. I think sometimes, especially you know, when I have people that are sort of new working with me or for me, and I ask a, a very leading question and I invite them to disagree and I invite them to debate, they kind of look at me like, oh, I don't know. But it's important, right? Because you need that conflict, you need that debate. And you, of course, you need to follow that with alignment and a conclusion, right? So sometimes that means you disagree, but you commit. And what we have in a lot of areas, you have a change model in most organizations that's consensus-based deliberation. Mm-hmm. I just think you know that model just hasn't worked for me. Yeah, I've noticed that a lot when things begin to spin is I think it's great to solicit opinions. More opinions are better. It's great to have multiple votes, but at some point, not all votes are weighted the same and this decision needs to get made. Otherwise, to your point, you're just spinning around de-risking things. And if you really step back, like businesses are built on risk. We, we have to take action. We have to take risk. And if we actually are adopting principles that are de-risking things and slowing things down, the cycle of business just begins to suffocate and starve itself. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, that's what I've seen. And I, I don't, I have to admit, I don't really have a lot of patience for it. Yeah. And we'd love to keep running with that. As, as you've been in the transformation space for a while, had a lot of conversations with other executives that are also in the transformation space or think they're in the transformation space. What are some other myths and, and misnomers around transformation that you can give as, as warning signs for others? And it's not that it's not needed, but I think when people think of transformation, they think, oh, we need, you know, we need vision, we need inspiration. And you do. And I think oftentimes we have a lot of that. I think where where it can fall down and where I try really hard to really focus is, you know, along with that, you need execution and you need good old fashioned sweat equity, right? Like, like you you have the vision, but you right. you gotta drive it all the way through. And I mean, this isn't. Sometimes, you know, people, you know, they want to work on strategy and innovation and those are nice terms. But at the end of the day, like, did you did you get from point A to point B? And that happens through that execution and sweat equity. And the way that you do that, especially when you're talking about change management is, you know, for me anyway, it's been the strategic selection of KPIs, right? Which is not always thought of in the same sentence necessarily as transformation, but right. you you need both a GPS and a speedometer. And so for me, like that vision is the GPS, but the KPIs are my speedometer. Like how fast am I going? You know, how you know, am I gonna get there in time? Those are the kinds of things that they have to come together. And I think I think another misnomer is when you're innovating and you're innovating yeah. from a base of strength and you want to think about the next thing or the next horizon. I've also found that. If you are at that base of strength and you've been really successful at something, success tends to make you really comfortable. And when you're comfortable, you're not necessarily motivated to look for what needs to change, right? right? And your comfort zone then becomes your own worst enemy. So I find it helpful to just call that out explicitly and try very hard to continuously poke at and look for sort of taking that first principles approach, kind of breaking it all the way down to then build it back up and not starting from the position and looking because that that out the gate narrows all the possibilities. We talk about the art of the possible, but to me, and I think Elon Musk has talked quite a lot about when we're trying to think about SpaceX and learned how expensive a rocket is. And so he brought it down to first principles and just said, okay, well, what's rocket made out of? 
And he kind of broke that all the way down and said, okay, so it would be far cheaper for us to just buy those on the open market and build a rocket. And I don't think we would have naturally gotten to that necessarily as the approach. I'm sure people thought that was crazy to build your own rocket. But I I just use that as a a way to say like, first principles, the Socratic method, it's been around for Mm -hmm. ages. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about transformation and innovating, I think that first principles approach is really, really critical. Yeah, I think it is for sure, particularly when you get into change management and just the need for a lot of people in an organization to change behavior, they have to see that it's worth it. And when the business is healthy, they're going to ask, why are we changing? Why do you need me to change? And you need to be able to illustrate why that's valuable. And the horrible example I always use, but it's simple, it's easy to get, is if I came up and knocked on your door and said, I'm kicking you out of your house, you're saying, no way. But if I go, I'm kicking you out of your house, just going to move you next door, same school district, it's got a pool, it's a nicer house. You're like, yep, I'll grab my bags now. So to your point, like having that, where are we going? Some KPIs. I think the other piece is, is it doesn't have to be specific. I think you need to know that you're going north at a certain pace, but if you run into a mountain, you have to go left or right or cross a river. You know, Those are other things, but, but making sure that at the end of the day, can you lift your head up and saying, are we still going north and are we still making progress? Yes or no. And then still be open to change on top of that. Those are a number of great points I agree exactly. with. Exactly. Mm-hmm. As you think about stepping into an organization and you've stepped into a a number in different situations, what would you say are the quintessential elements or building blocks to starting a transformation or at least be in that first chapter of a transformation that, that sets it off to be in the direction of being successful? I think in that first phase of just, let's just talk about just stepping in, right? So it's easy actually to step in and kind of look at stuff and say, oh, why is it like this? This is, you know, and, and and kind of bring that critical approach. I think it's really important to step in when you're new into an organization or new into, you know, an initiative to step in with curiosity and empathy, right? So keeping an open mind, oh, well, why is it this way? Wow, okay, so like that must have been, it must have taken quite something to get here. Really kind of bringing that empathy and that curiosity, because again, right, to get to that change management you have to have, you really have to capture the hearts and minds of the people. And there's no worse way than to come in and kind of be critical of everything. And by the way, you're the one that knows the least. You just got there. So I think, I think you know, kind of having that humility, having that curiosity, having that empathy is incredibly important. I also look to kind of build a team. And I don't mean this in terms of a formal team or, you know, reporting structures or anything. It's just really the squad, right? Like I try to form a squad. I look for people who just bleed accountability, flexibility, and curiosity. And I just gravitate towards them. And and then we just rally around the change we want to see happen. And then we start going out and kind of being that change and kind of being that force multiplier in the organization. And I I think that's important because there are high highs and low lows (laughs) when you Mm -hmm. all take on this Mm -hmm. kind of work. And so you need to be buoyed by that group, by that squad. And they need it from you. And you want those ambassadors. You want you want those evangelists, you know, for those days that you maybe don't have the energy that you should have, or for those days where somebody just needs to hear it from somebody else that's in a different role or a different function. Because those kinds of messages need to be delivered multiple, multiple ways through multiple people. And I think that's how you really kind of seed the change. That's a, that's a great point. I, I think I'm running into far too many people that are claiming they're going through a transformation or working through a transformation. And this is terrible, but it seems like they're way too happy all the time. 
And like a good transformation, you hit those gutters once in a while. You get those setbacks because if you're not falling down or skinning your knees, in my opinion, I don't think you're you're pushing the transformation hard enough. So when you are and you've got that good team, you're going to have those bad days. But how are you creating that team culture to rally through those bad days and keep moving forward? I think is a great call out. Yes. Yes. And I think whether it's in your own organization or just in your network, right? You also need those phone of friends. Like I call, you know, you, Tony, like I call profit. I'm like, Hey, I need, I need like a sounding board. I um, mean, that's also really important too, because when you're in it, sometimes you need to step away so that you can really see the forest for the trees and then come back in rejuvenated. Yeah. And I'd love to, to ride that point that you just made. Cause I think just finding your peer group and there's so much peer-to-peer learning going on. Who are a, a couple people that, that stand out in your mind that really helped you on your career and, and you felt were, were invaluable to your success? Gosh, there's so many. And, and they, it's interesting. I don't remember what company I was with. And I went to a session where they, a sort of a development session where they said, like, build your stakeholder map. And for you as an individual, so if this is a weakness for you, who's the stakeholder that you're going to look to for X? And if this is something you're really heavy on, but you want to extend it to someplace else, who's that? So for me, I mean, I I really appreciate, and I think that it's a good compliment to me. I really, really appreciate a strong sales leader. And I like to have that view. I like to bring my ideas to my sales leader. I like for those people to kick the tires for me because it just makes the idea or the initiative better. And by the way, that sales leader is what's standing between you and the marketplace. So that is something that I've drawn on quite a lot. I look to people who are in similar roles, but in different divisions or or with products that are at different maturity stages designed thinking. I mean, I have been schooled and been so fortunate to have really wonderful design leaders through different roles that I've had. And they just come at it from a completely different perspective than I typically do. So, I mean, I I have so many different people to be thankful for in terms of having helped me along the way. I've been very selective and, you know, sort of cognizant of what types of input I need to really make sure that I'm not just in an echo chamber. And I, I'm pretty intentional about going and seeking that out. I would double down on that. I think that the other build I would have on that is making sure you've got your network, your stakeholder outside your organization. And I'm finding it funny as we're experiencing the great resignation, there's a lot of turnover happening, a lot of organizations and, and people usually go, Hey, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm like, that's great. You're still in my network. I'm still going to call you regularly. Your business card changes, but, but our relationship still exists beyond the, those walls. Exactly. Uh, and you have to think like that versus just who in the organization can help me. You have to think who in your network can help you because there's a whole horizon of more value beyond the organization. Yes. Yes. And healthcare, I mean, I don't know if it's just the sheer number of years I've clocked now in the industry, but it is such a small world. And so there's a real value in folks that have been in your network who have seen you through different transformations. Sometimes I have to say, hey, Mary, remember this though? You did this before. Remember this? And you might forget. Mm -hmm. Like I forget sometimes. And I do, and I, I try really hard and I make the time to do that for others too. Cause you know, you have to, you have to pay it forward. Yep. And on the topic of paying it forward, last question, what would be the advice that you'd give to, to other executives who are, who are stepping in and overseeing a transformation effort? You know, again, I, I think it's, 
easy to get carried away with the sexy big idea. I like to chunk it up. And then I like to make sure that I have a really good execution plan against them. And I like to make sure that I have the talent, the skills, you know, sort of mix to deliver it, right? Because you can have the best idea and the best plan, but if you don't have the right folks to help you drive it, then it all falls apart. And that brings me to just always be recruiting, always be networking. There's a huge war for talent out there. The right individual with the right skills mix can make or break the transformation that you're trying to, to achieve. And then socialize, 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 right? Like make sure as many people understand what you're trying to do. And it really it really comes from a point of education. Like you, you need to educate people on the problem statement and what it is that you're working to do so that they can understand, so that they can rally. You can't just get to the rally without that education and the understanding. And so taking the time to breaking that down and ensuring that you're bringing people with you is really important. Those are excellent, excellent points. Mary, thank you so much for, for sitting down and, and sharing your story today. Oh, I had a blast. Thank you so much, Paul, for having me. This is really fun. Thank you for listening to Profit's Healthcare Transformers podcast. This podcast is produced by Jared Johnson and his wonderful team at Shift Forward Health. And a big thank you to our hosts, Priya Anasia, Paul Shrimp, and Jeff Gorgie. If you liked today's episode, you can find more great content like this at profit.com slash thinking. I'm Anna Kuno, the senior editor of this podcast. Thank you for listening.